No, I am not Jeff Houghton. <laughs> but we do have Jeff Houghton here today, and he's going to be uh, with us this morning during the teaching time to give us a little bit of a sense of what maybe the uh, 425 experiences will be like uh, beginning November 17, when we are going to focus upon some movers and shakers in the area and uh, listen to the stories of people and partner with people who are doing things better than we are doing. And we are uh, honored to be a partner with so many of these people that Jeff is going to interview down at 425. Now, those of you uh, who are interested in the Thursday night experience, uh, this Thursday night there will be a, a happy hour at Mother's Brewery is what we're going to do Thursday night. So we won't meet at 425 Walnut. We'll go to Mother's Brewery. And then we won't meet at all until uh, November 17, a Thursday night, and Jeff will be hosting that experience down there. But today, instead of me uh, teaching, you having to listen to me, we get to listen to Jeff listen to me. <laughs> we are in this series called Fall into the Movies in which we're talking about uh, different movies that are very fallish and the spiritual lessons that we can learn from them. And instead of having a movie today, we are having a movie star today, or a television star. So give it up for Jeff Houghton. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. So Jeff and I are going to talk a little bit about this, and I am a little bit scared because he is going to ask me questions. And he's just, he's a nice guy on the surface, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's yeah. all been a setup for this moment, <laughs> for the gotcha questions. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so what I'm going to be doing this morning is interviewing Philip. Part of the idea uh, for the Community Matters is to like hear the people that are doing good things, hear their story, where they're coming from, and kind of what they're doing. And so we were talking about how to kick it off, and we were like, hey, Philip, does anyone, besides what you tell them, do people feel like they know you know you, where you get asked questions? And so we decided that maybe this would be a good way to kick it off and give you guys uh, a way to get to know Philip a little better. Does that sound good? We'll see. They know a filtered version. Right. I'm sure. P-H-I-L-T-E-R-E-D. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so should we start? We're starting. Uh, we are ready. Okay. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. Philip, mm -hmm. you were born, and I think uh, none of us <laughs> <I> were there. <laughs> I didn't you land on a spaceship anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh yeah, well, some background, like, so uh, let me tell you guys this first. So some background, um, our family used to go to fellowship, and we'd come off and on to venues. I'm a big fan of venues, and when um, uh, I first met Philip, I was working at the Community Blood Center of the Ozarks, organizing blood drives. And I was, so I was like, hey, Philip, will you guys put on a blood drive? And uh, he said, I can do you one better. I'll donate blood uh, during the sermon. <laughs> so he, was, he donated blood during the sermon. And I was like, this guy's cool. Because uh, he didn't pass out, which would have been horrible for the blood drive. <laughs> So, so all that to say, like I, I have a, I have a sense uh, through hearing you talk quite a bit, quite a few things, but uh, but maybe there's some gaps in there. I think other people would be interested in. So, let's just start with like where were you born and raised? We'll start there. 
I was born right here in the hometown Springfield, Missouri. Yeah? Yeah. And your um, dad was a pastor? He was a pastor at Macedonia Baptist Church, uh, way west Springfield. Uh-huh. And we were lived on Washita Street. Oh, okay. No indoor plumbing at that time. What year was this? It was a while ago. Wow. I know it. <laughs> no th- indoor plumbing? I think the plumbing started at East Springfield and then went west. I don't know. <laughs> Did you have an outhouse? We did. Wow. I didn't know about that. In town? In town, yeah. Okay. See? You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And you're, you're, you come from a pastoring family. Your father was a pastor, grandfather? Grandfather and great-grandfather. Both grandfathers were pastors and uncles were pastors. So pastoring, I had no choice, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a family business. And it's, uh, it was Southern Baptist? Well, of course. <laughs> yeah, definitely, through and through. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so obviously we know where you are now. When you were a kid, was, it, was some of that ill-fitting, or did it feel like this is No, I was totally immersed in it. Yeah. I, I had a happy childhood and had a good dad. Uh, you know, I, he was a busy pastor, but I never felt like it was... Uh, a wrong fit for me yeah. being in that world. Uh, I felt like everybody else it, you know, was probably uh, wrong and we were right. And yeah, um, yeah. I, I was very happy that I was in the right group. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Do you think that motivates people? That Just that statement? I think it does give a sense of uh, unity and community. It seems like people gather maybe more easily around uh, an us versus them uh-huh. mentality. So there's a very strong cohesiveness within that denomination and the churches I was a part of. But it was a, I had a good time and I, I loved dad. I kind of wanted to be like dad. Yeah. So. How do you describe your dad? Uh, dad is a very uh, powerful, he is uh, a little, egotistical I think every pastor is yeah I think we do this sometimes to get positive strokes yeah yeah I do I know I do (laughs) and I haven't been getting enough lately (laughs) now I really wanted to be like dad I my mother looked out the window when we lived in Poplar Bluff and I was on my knees and I had a rock in my hand pounding my head with this rock and she ran out and said, what, Philip, are you doing? And my dad has a scar right there on his forehead. And I was trying to develop a scar. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a little weird. Weird. Yeah. yeah. So dad was a pastor. If dad had been a, a manager at Sears, I probably would have been a, wanted to be a manager at Sears. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is powerful. I, I did honor him. Love him, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, Until later. Then, oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, explain that joke. Well, we had our differences. Yeah. Later on in life. Yeah. And, yeah, but we still loved each other. But we had strong differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As an adult. Is it theologically related or? Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Theologically and with social issues, sexual issues. Yeah. Gender issues. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Right. Um, okay. So then you decided. Pretty early on, you wanted to be a pastor. Fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. 
I walked the aisle. They called it in that world, uh, surrender to the ministry. Yeah. I give up. Yeah. It's not a very... Um, no. I kind of jumped Affirming language. To it's not start at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Okay. So then you, uh, you go from high school to Bible college? Uh, yeah. Uh, Southwest Baptist College in Bolivar. Four yeah. years, yeah. And then you go to... That's when some those. of the deconstruction kind of started. Yeah. My freshman year, I began to learn that some of the things I was taught, there are other theories, yeah. other views. Ah, interesting. So, uh, explain deconstruction for folks that might not know that term. Well, that's, it's kind of a violent term, isn't it? When you demolish is kind of what some of us think of. I, I look at deconstruction as I, I get this whole picture of Christian history, Christian belief systems, uh, Christian thought, and uh, then I get the picture of Jesus and how he's presented in the Gospels, and sometimes what I view as Christianity doesn't fit this picture of Jesus, so I deconstruct my view. I take out what I perceive, and I may not perceive correctly, doesn't really fit the life and message and person of Jesus, so I deconstruct that in order to reconstruct Mm-hmm. Something that fits. That's so. It's not like I'm through with deconstruction. I deconstruct every day. Yeah. Because I learn something about Jesus. Hopefully every day. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that's like a years long process. It's a process. Yeah. And maybe like grief in the sense that like I've heard said you know there's the five stages of grief, but in reality it's not uh, stair steps. It's well, circular yeah, and, and it's messy grieving and... to deconstruct because sure. some of those things we found our security in. An identity. An identity in. Yeah. I find my security in particular beliefs or in a view of the scripture. And uh, when I deconstruct that, then what do, what do I stand on now? Sometimes the box you're stuck in can feel like comfort. It can. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes it can feel constricting. Yeah. Comforting or constricting. Yeah. yeah. It's walls either way. It is, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So then you, um, uh, when do you meet Denise? Oh. <laughs> Met Denise at Forest Park Baptist Church in Joplin, Missouri. She was five years old. I was 10. She's loved me ever since. Her mother and my mother were best friends. Her dad was a deacon at Forest Park where my dad pastored, and so our families were really close. Spent a lot of time with the Wilson family. But then you, but then you go away from them. Yeah, we moved to Little Rock, and yeah. Denise's family moved to Tyler, Texas. And uh, Little Rock's here, Fort Worth, where I went to seminary, is here, and Tyler's in the middle. On my way from Little Rock to Fort Worth, I stopped in Tyler to see the Wilson family, and Denise wasn't 10 anymore. (laughs) And you, uh, I think you told me you kept visiting the family. Every weekend, yeah. (laughs) Just about flunked out of seminary. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure they were like, I think Philip's not here to see us anymore. (laughs) Yeah, her mother could see right through me, that's yeah. for sure. I'm afraid Denise was afraid of that, too. 
why is Philip here again? <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps showing up. Uh -huh. And if you do that and no relationship comes of it, you're a creep. But if a relationship comes, it's great. It's great news. I'm still kind of a creep, I think. That's a good way to, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, Denise would come home one Friday night with her date. And, and she and her date would go to their living room, and I'd be in their family room. And it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> Both for Denise and me, I'm sure. And the guy would say, who's that guy in there? Oh, that's just my brother, Philip. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pay him any mind. So then you're eventually out of school, and uh, you took a job in Springfield? Uh, no, in Wooster, Arkansas. Denise, Wooster. Denise and I got married. Yeah. She did say yes, and after a while, and we got married and finished seminary and went to Wooster, Arkansas, First Baptist Church of Wooster. Yeah? Yeah. 300 population. The population of the church? Oh, no. Wooster. <laughs> <laughs> So then, uh, I, I, you've probably referenced it in sermons before, but then you're, you're in Springfield. Uh, you, you, you were at Jefferson. Came Avenue. to Springfield in 1984. 1984. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, you're, then you leave a church, forced to leave? Yeah, I was not, we were there nine years. Yeah. And in 87, that church came, brought me up for a vote to be fired. And uh, they had a list of offenses. Yeah. And uh, they, so they voted on a Wednesday night business meeting, but they, I won the vote. It doesn't make so for they, a comfortable work environment. They left and started a new church somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah, like Friendship Baptist or something. I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. So, uh, but then, like, the, you end up leaving there, starting fellowship. Left there in 93 uh, yeah. and started fellowship in 94. Okay. What was that like? You have young kids, and you're like, I'm going to yeah, try dude, something new. What was that like? And you see, it was a little bit scary, wasn't it? Devin, that was 94. So Daniel was nine, and Devin was seven. Yeah. And I lost my income, and we had six people in the church, Denise and me and two other The church you're starting, couples. you have six people. Yeah, fellowship, yeah. yeah. And you guys, you guys, you're like, you guys better tithe quick. I know. Tithing in this church is 100%. This is, I preach that every week. It's exactly right. Yeah. But then it grows, it and it grows. Grow. Mm -hmm. And then and then you, what are the circumstances that left you leaving there and then eventually starting venues? Well, I say 1040, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I realize that as a pastor, even in the Southern Baptist world, my pastor was pretty much a, a systems job. Uh, systems of belief. Uh, it was my job to know what I believed and create a system for what I believe and then pass that system on to the congregation. But I began to, a little bit at Jefferson Avenue Baptist, but a lot at Fellowship, I began to question my own beliefs. And uh, when my beliefs ran up against new information or new experiences that contradicted my beliefs, I, I found out I'm not believing what I believe anymore. Yeah. So I had a choice. I could tell the congregation about my journey, what I was feeling, what I was thinking, 
But if I told them I was questioning some of our beliefs that we, as a denomination and as fellowship, as a church, held very dear, if I told them of my predicament, <laughs> on the one hand, I, I could have been fired. Yeah. On the other hand, if I just kept that to myself, I would end up saying things that I didn't believe. And I asked myself the question, what is the word that she used to describe someone who says one thing in public but says something else secretly? Well, hypocrite. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that. And I tried that for a few years. And it just, ugh, it just ate me up inside. Yeah. So I wasn't being true to myself. So I just began kind of slowly from preaching on Sunday morning, saying, asking questions. What yeah. if this wasn't true? Or what if this, what we hold, what, what if there's another way to look at that? And it caused excitement among some and fear among others and anger. Yeah. And that process eventually led to an opportunity to leave. <laughs> <laughs> an opportunity to leave. Yeah. Uh, Yay. Yeah. And so that's, that's December 2012, is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It kind of came to a head in uh, September, September 2012. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I led a... Uh, was a part of a group, the staff at the fellowship led um, on uh, faith and essentials of the faith. And that night when I taught, it was a Friday night, I taught, and that was the first time publicly, although I'd believed it for 20 years prior, the first time publicly I said, I do not believe that the Bible is inerrant. Yeah. And on Monday... I had a call from head of the elders that they wanted to meet with me as soon as possible. So they put me on a sabbatical, and yeah. I, I never went back. They, they decided life was, would be better without me. At that so point. how do you, you know, other folks have not been in that same scenario, but in that, had that feeling, right? Like whether it's being dropped by a community uh, yeah. or being fired from a job, that sort of stuff. How do you reconcile it or how do you move forward? Does that make sense? Like, it does. That's a good question because it was our community. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what saved us, honestly, I think I would have been a very depressed person, not maybe not clinically, but due to the external circumstances. Um, we had a large community at Fellowship, and that community stayed with us, maybe not in the context of Fellowship Bible Church, yeah. which I still love and I still value, and the leadership, I don't know their pastor, but who's ever still on their elder board, I, I respect and value them. But there was a community that, out of that official church that 
still surrounded us. Yeah. So we didn't lose that. Yeah. But it's still hard to be fired and not know what in the world am I going to do. Because right. I kind of go back to that 87 when we started uh-huh. fellowship and, you know, how do I support? I'm getting old now. When we started this church, I was, right. <laughs> yeah, 50-something. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but then you decide to have like a Christmas Eve Eve service. Yeah, there were t- two couples in uh formerly from the other church who came to our house. And it was weird because Denise and I were getting some counseling in our house from a, a, past, a pastor who is now a therapist who helps pastors deal with trauma. So uh-huh. he was helping us through some things. And these two couples came to the door. And uh, it was weird because this pastor was saying to us, Philip, don't start another church in this town. So these two couples came over and said, Philip, we want you to start another church in this town. <laughs> so they said, I said, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Yeah. And they said, well, let's start with a Christmas Eve service. So we had an eve of Christmas Eve service at Rick's Automotive and uh, December 12th, yeah. 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, so we talked about talked about your journey, and then there's also like things that make up our beliefs that are things that we don't believe, right? But what are, so now venues is going, it's rolling, it's thriving for a number of years. What is your message now? I've heard it said that like pastors have like three messages or something like that, two messages, yeah. and it's the essence of every sermon. Every sermon give. is that, yeah. But what are, you, what, are you, what are you about now? What do you want the venues to be about? Like, I'll let you say it. There's things I like about it, but I want to hear what you say. Oh, gosh. You know, at Jefferson Avenue, when I was there, I went to see a lady who was dying in the hospital and uh, over at Mercy. And I sat down. I, I held her hand, and I called her by name. And then she looked at me and said, said, Reverend Wright, I have only one request of you. I said, yes, ma'am, what would that be? Quit preaching about sex. <laughs> you know, I was 30 years old. That's all I was thinking about. <laughs> so that, her answer would have been every message had sex in it. Yeah. And it pops up every once in a while here, but sure. not, not as often. <laughs> yeah. So here, the way I am now at 66, it kind of goes back to my introduction to the song, in my move, I migrated from belief to love as being the, the key identifier in Christianity. It's interesting to me, I did a thing at fellowship when I was really struggling. And uh, I, for an entire year, I, did, I read nothing except the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four stories of Jesus in the Christian scripture. And I came out of that, oh my gosh, I missed it. And I discovered, you know, like for example, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' premier teaching, longest recorded teaching in uh, Christian scripture. And not one time in the Sermon on the Mount did Jesus ever say, believe this. Yeah. But the entire Sermon on the Mount was all about be this and do this, forgive your enemies and uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So his whole message was about doing loving things 
and being a loving person. Well, you fast forward history 300 years to Constantine, the emperor of Rome, and he just made Christianity the, the official religion. And there were all these different factions of Christians. He brought all the bishops together at his seaside home and, uh, in, in, in Nicaea. And he said, I want you all to come up with a document that will unite the Christians. And so they came up with, with the Nicene Creed. And in the Nicene Creed, it's all about what to believe, not one thing about what to do and what to be. So in 300 years, the message of Jesus went from do love and be loved to believe this statement about whatever. And the church is still doing that. Yeah. And I think my message today Oh, gosh, I think the three things maybe that I continue to teach is love. Jesus' primary directive was love. Um, that means to me that love supersedes any statement of belief. In fact, Paul even says in Galatians 5, Galatians 6, uh, no, it's Galatians 5, um, that nothing matters except faith expressing itself in love. Nothing matters. These statements of belief don't matter. The only thing that matters is faith, and that doesn't mean a statement of belief. Faith means a relationship with God, a, a con connection with the divine. Nothing matters more than that connection with the divine and how that connection with the divine is expressed in love. And I thought, well, dang, I have spent all my life learning these doctrinal statements and making sure everybody checked the boxes of doctrinal statements. And Paul says, nothing matters except connection with God expressed in love. So love has got to be one of them. Second thing, I think maybe I talk a lot about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven is not making sure you're... The place you live once you die is going to be heaven and not hell, but it's going to. But the kingdom of God is here now, and the kingdom of God is peace right now. I think those two things probably are what I kind of. I don't know. What do y'all think? What do I talk about a lot? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do that. Let's transition. Yeah. Let's transition to some Q and A from. Okay. You guys. Yeah, Nisi, come on up, and so we're going to do this for a few minutes for you. And uh, ask Jeff anything. Not me. I'm a closed book. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, do we have instructions? Oh, yeah, you can text or you can ask a question. We already have some. Be right in the middle, Nisi. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Barbie. Okay, Jeff, the first one's for you. All right. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't part of it. <laughs> Make it a hard one. What made you decide to offer Community Matters series, and why would you partner with uh, venues? Oh, yeah, good question. Uh, well, first, wait, how did it happen? Oh, yeah, there's a long, convoluted story. As, uh, as, as you know, I've been figuring out different transitions with 425, and, uh, and then they were like, hey, would you want to do some sort of show or something? And I was like... Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Philip, 
there's a stage. I'll go there. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, so yes, I've always super admired, admired venues. And then also, like, you know, so I had, some of you may know, I had the Mystery Hour TV show. And I love doing the interviews and stuff like that. But I really love, like, long-form interview podcasts and stuff like that. So I, I realized I'd love to do something that is, like, a longer interview that's kind of, like, very simple. And so, so one of the things we'll do with this is uh, there isn't any streaming. There's, uh, and we're going to give you a bag to put your phone in. And the idea is for it to be, like, super, super intimate. You had to be there. It only exists in this moment. So I call it, like, a podcast without a podcast. So it's uh, interesting for me creatively, and then also, um, like I said, I've always loved and admired the venues, so that partnership is exciting for me. It's an honor for us, for sure. That's what I told you when you asked. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Philip, this is for you. You talked about being true to yourself, being who you are in public. Do you have suggestions for those of us who are trying to do that but struggling? Oh, my gosh. I can't do it. I couldn't do it by myself. I think Jeff's question about the community, losing the community was key. If I did not have a community that supported me in that uh, coming out of the closet, so to speak, yeah, it, borrow that phrase from people who have really been hurt. But yeah, if I didn't have a group that really did surround me, I don't think I could have. So I wouldn't do anything by yourself. Uh, I would try to find other people who are on that journey, too. And, uh, yeah, get support that way. So why did you decide to start this church? Because I needed a job. (laughs) 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 I had been fired. I have a mentor at Southwestern Seminary who has since passed, and he guided me through some of these theological questions, a good Southern Baptist professor, that I had about scripture especially and he knew where Denise and I were and he was looking for us a church a progressive church in Texas so we were sadly thinking about moving to Texas really uh, until this two couples showed up that's why we honestly it was to it was to start a job but I think the very I wanted a church that really start off with a church that recognized we don't get it right and we're not doing everything right and we're not the church that gets the Bible right we're not the church that gets spirituality right and we wanted to be authentic about that Uh, we don't have the six steps towards satisfaction and we don't have the only way to God at our church We're, we're just a group of people who is kind of enamored with this person of Jesus and the way of Jesus and the values of Jesus. And, and we're experimenting. We're failing sometimes in what we do. We're making lots of mistakes on the process, but we're just a community of people who kind of like Jesus, or like the way of Jesus. And we think that if we follow the way of Jesus, it's going to change the world. Imagine that. And we actually think that, that the truth of life may be love. And, and love may be the way to do this. And so we wanted to try a church 
to start a church that really focused on love to see what would happen. And one thing I've told you before, and maybe you guys feel the same way, like for Philip uh, preaching, I've always loved that he'll say, the humility of it, that he'll say things like, I don't know. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, like, I just want a pastor to say, like, yeah, this is, this is what I think, but I don't know. <laughs> I find that as powerful as certainty. Right? I, I, I hope you're, yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I love the uncertainty. That's of, where all the juice is, right? That's, that's exactly the interesting Exactly right, stuff. it is. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I'm fairly certain about is love. So everything else is, I don't have to have. Anything else, Nisi? Yeah, there's like 25 questions rolling in. I have not. I I'll, mean, I'll be busy on emailing yeah. this week, won't I? Yeah, you will, yeah. Anything you want to read? We've got um, two minutes. What's been the hardest thing in your journey with the venues pertaining to local churches and organizations? Uh, the local organizations have been wonderful. One of the things that we valued when we started the church is uh, partnership. And you didn't have to believe like we believed. You didn't have to be in the same denomination or whatever. Uh, Denise and I grew up in church world where you just didn't partner with anybody who didn't think everything the way you thought it. And uh, we just wanted, we knew that there were other groups that were doing things a lot better than we could ever do. And instead of us trying to reinvent something, let's just partner with them. And Barbie has taken the lead on that since... uh, 2013. Yeah. It's 11 o'clock, but I think this is a really good question. So, do you want me to pass or? So, when did you realize that those Christians who are a part of the LGBTQIA plus deserved mm-hmm. God's love just the same as other Christians? Gosh. I preached a sermon in 2008, so it was 2008, and prior. Denise and I, uh, I I learned something that uh, my faith can be framed by my experiences. I used not to believe that. We were taught you don't allow your faith to be framed by experiences. But I, Denise and I went on a listening tour, so to speak, for a year of listening to the stories of people in the LGBTQ plus community. And that's when I discovered that, gosh, how I've interpreted these scriptures does not fit. These stories, these experiences don't line up with my interpretation of Bible. So I either have to discount these experiences or change my interpretation. I never got rid of the Bible. The Bible is not the problem. Me, I'm the problem, how I interpret it and how it's been taught to be interpreted. So I valued these experiences in 2008. In 2014, uh, well, whenever the Supreme Court And I began to preach from the very beginning at venues that uh, it's not a sin and nothing is wrong with anybody who's gay. Uh, They're not broken. Uh, It's just who they are and God loves them and they're deserving of relationship and sex 
just like uh, anybody else. And I began to perform uh, same-sex marriages the year, the month that the Supreme Court ruled. Yeah. 